Welcome to the Thing About Money video cast on Business Garden. And I'm joined here with Gabette Sami. Today we have a, I know it's a clickbait title, but how to beat the S&P 500 and is there a better place for your money? So we want, Gab and I were having a discussion about what index is the best representation of the economy as a whole and ultimately what would deliver you the highest return. So it led to us having a discussion of the virtues of the S&P 500 versus the NASDAQ and we were able to get some interesting findings. But uh, before I kick it off to him, let, let, let me describe briefly what the two indexes are. So the S&P 500 is a stock market index that tracks the stocks of 500 large cap publicly traded US companies across a broad range of industries. It represents the stock market's performance by reporting the risks and returns of these companies. Now, the NASDAQ is similar, but it is a globally electronic marketplace for buying and selling securities. More than 3,000 stocks are listed on the NASDAQ exchange, and they include the foremost technology giants such as Apple, Google, Microsoft, Oracle, Amazon and Intel, just to name a few. Now, Gab, um, kicking it off to you, can you kind of go into your findings and tell us what you found about them? Give us your opinion about what you of what you what information you have, and just give us some insights. Yeah, so I think this is a really interesting debate, and. You and I know the S&P 500 is used as the de facto benchmark, right? Every fund manager, everyone out there is trying to gauge their performance, I guess, against the S&P 500's performance. And when you hear the market is up today or the market is down today, for the most part, they're talking about the S&P 500 when they say that. That is kind of the golden standard of comparison. Yes. And... I don't know how accurate that is. So there's two interesting things, which is one, are there indexes that are better in terms of performance? Do they beat? And two is, are there better indexes that are a better representation of the market? Like you said earlier. So let, let me share with you what we put together and Right off the bat, you can see this, right, Sean? Yep. Right off the bat, you can see some pretty interesting things here. Here's what this data is. This is annual returns from 1990 all the way through 2019. The orange is the NASDAQ annual returns. They're exclusive of dividends. So the NASDAQ has a really tiny dividend in comparison to the S&P 500. I did not include any dividend in the annual returns here. But for the S&P 500, I did. S&P 500 has, on average, over a 2% dividend return. So I wanted to be as accurate as possible in relaying this information. So I included total returns for the S&P 500, which is represented by the blue bars. And this is 30 years of data. And right off the bat, you can see some 
pretty wildly interesting things. Um, it's hard to eyeball, but there's 15 years of outperformance in the NASDAQ and 15 years of outperformance by the S&P 500. They're split exactly down the middle. But what mm -hmm. should catch your eye is when the NASDAQ beats, it really beats big. They have these huge... It's substantial outperformance compared yeah. to the S&P for sure. And when the S&P beats, it beats by a little fraction. Um, you can also obviously see this miserable run in the early 2000s, the dot-com bubble. And you can see 2008 pretty clearly there. Um, so you see a lot of, there's a lot of interesting things that are captured over the last 30 years. And if so, you look, yeah. So Gab, uh, you, so when I saw this information, it was, it was pretty eye opening. So we thought it would be a good exercise to compare the returns after uh, a decline or a crash or a bear market. So how, what findings did you get after comparing, for example, from the right after the dot-com crash or even the global financial crash of 2008? Yeah, so there there is a few years. Obviously our data goes back to 1990, like I said. And when I looked at the cumulative data, which I'll go to now, and what you can see on the cumulative returns is I compared kind of three divisions from 2000 to 2007. So right after, like right at the start of the poor performance of the dot-com crash through right to 2007. And a lot of people think the significance of 2007 is 2008, but I chose a reason for 2007, which I'll go into, and then 2007 to 2020, and then all the way from 2020 to, to from 2000 to 2020, all the way through. So that 20 year period, right off the bat, let's just look at the cumulative returns. You can see from 2000 to 2007, the S and P 500 was up, but the NASDAQ was down. So S and P was up 12%. NASDAQ was down 40%. So about a 50%, 53% difference there. But there's a much bigger gap from 2007 through to 2020. S&P's return is about 120% in that 14-year period. The NASDAQ's is 275%. So we have about 150% beat on the NASDAQ in that it's pretty amazing period. You were, you were mentioning also that uh, something that's overshadowed because of the global financial crash of 08 is that 2007 was uh, a very special year during, yeah, uh, right. in was. terms of technology and its impact on society. If you, if you care to, to, to just even mention a few of the, the innovations that happened yeah. that year. So, so I take a lot of this from a journalist. His name is Thomas Friedman, and he, he's the one who kind of opened my eyes to this, which is that the world really changed in 2007, and no one talks about it because it's overshadowed by 2008. And I'm just going to list off, rattle off some of the things that happened in 2007. It was 
the first iPhone was introduced, Facebook and Twitter took off, big data and cloud computing reached a tipping point, the Kindle was invented, Google introduced Android, IBM started Watson, human genome sequencing costs fell dramatically, solar panel costs fell dramatically, Airbnb was started, GitHub was started. I, I mean, the list continues to go on. That's just a few of the things. And the, the short version of it is that connectivity and computing became fast and cheap. And it was a big tipping point towards technology. And I believe that's why the NASDAQ now is a better representation of what is going on in the markets. And that is also why it's a better performer. The world is being eaten alive by technology. And there is no company, there's, no, there's not even an industry or a field I can think of from farming to restaurants to anything, any field, any industry, any sort of commerce that is not driven and made more efficient by some sort of technology. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Gab. The, the NASDAQ comprises of some of the most powerful tech companies and more the most powerful companies in general in the world. And there is an argument to be made that over time they have consolidated and grown their power as technology and the internet encompass more of daily living and every facet of society as a whole. And like you mentioned before, there's a, a, uh, there's a, a well-known common phrase that uh, technology and software are eating the world. And these technology companies, they, will, they investigate every inefficiency in legacy industries, and they will find a way to improve and refine and make things better to their advantage. And that is paying off huge dividends for them in the long run. And we're just, and the past few years, especially, we've been seeing this come to fruition. So right now, there's a common stigma that the technology companies, even though they're, they are well respected right now, there is a stigma that they are almost like a dot-com company and they are startup in, in a startup phase. But these companies are really coming into a, a, a stage of becoming mature, profitable, ever fast expanding companies. And it's really anybody who's invested with them in the past five to 10 years are, are paying paid off handsomely right now. And yeah, it's true. I think the, I think the main argument that I've heard at least against the NASDAQ versus the S and P is that the NASDAQ can be more volatile. And you can kind of see that in the annual charts, but I mean, we, we, we are not really representing volatility here in a robust way. And that may be true, I concede, right? My answer to someone who says the S&P is a better investment because even though it has slightly retur lesser returns, it's less volatile, let's say for, I mean, it depends on your investing style and what you can stomach, but for the long-term investor, the 30, 40 year plus investor, who cares the path that's taken to get there, right? Of course, these companies are gonna be more volatile. Of course, there's gonna be 
uh, ups and downs. We're talking about we're talking about disruption. We're talking about evolution, and we're talking about a, a basket of companies that are in that industry. So yeah, things will be more volatile, but in the long run, I don't think I don't think any company that's not extremely tech focused is going to is going to perform anymore after 2007 the same because it's all about efficiency now and it's all about maximizing your opportunities and tech is the only thing i can think of that's deflationary in that sense well said so we want to hear from you guys if you like this video as they say smash that like button if not maybe avoid the dislike button but you know we would no, no, no offense if, if that's the case, but we appreciate you listening if you went this far. And if you have any questions, comments, what do you think? Do you think it is the better indicator of the relative health of the stock market as opposed to the S&P 500? Which, which one do you prefer? Sound off in the comments below and we'll hear from you next time. Bye everyone. Thanks for watching.